hats off to all of you mothers that have small children. There's a reason I say that. And uh, I had two little granddaughters for about a third of the service tonight. And uh, my hat's off to you for riding herd on a bunch of little kids. We need little kids in the church. And uh, <clears throat> so I uh, just thought I'd throw that out there. Your reward will be great in heaven. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> thank the Lord for his presence. And uh, it's more than just emotion, it's more than just um, praise break, if you want to call it that. It's power to help us to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11, and I'm going to read the same verse that I read here this morning. And um, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to pick up where I left off this morning, and I'm going to preach to you about the school of prayer. And uh, prayer is very important. fact, I believe it helps us to be responsive to the Spirit. I believe that it helps us to be able to let the Spirit move and flow through us. And um, being prayerless is about like being breathless. And I'm going to keep saying that. Because you have to be someone that is given to prayer. Amen. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight. Our gracious God, I am, Lord, thankful for your goodness, for your presence. Lord, I ask you tonight, Lord, this is more than just emotion. I pray, God, that you would Lord, do a work in every one of our hearts. Lord, you call us to prayer. You call us to separation. You call us to worship. You call us, Lord, to lifestyles. Jesus, I pray that reflects, Lord, who you are and what you have done in our lives. I ask you, Lord, tonight, God, that this church leaves when we turn the lights out Lord that people would have been drawn in Lord to a need of prayer I pray Lord that tonight in Jesus name Amen Amen you may be seated <clears throat> certainly good to have our our guest here with us tonight 
and uh, didn't mention this morning, but the McMurray's from up north Alabama. Uh, good to have them here, and uh, also good to have the Russ family uh, here with us tonight, and uh, appreciate them being uh, here with us, and uh, pray the Lord would minister, and um, and I I'm thankful. Um, I'm gonna leave it at this, but I'm gonna thank the Lord for anonymous. And uh, there's several anonymous um, folks that over the last several months have blessed our church uh, financially, and uh, they wish to remain anonymous. I'm going to honor that, but I do want you to pray that the Lord would bless anonymous and um, that God would, would touch them. Amen. Let's talk about the school of, of prayer. I um, <clears throat> mentioned to you this morning that there has to be a priority of prayer. I'm not going to rehash the things that I uh, preached this morning um, just about that matter of us having a priority of prayer uh, in <clears throat> our lives. I did go through some statistics that were troubling, concerning uh the actions, I guess you would say, of, of pastors and uh, their prayer lives. And uh, Peter Wagner did a survey, and in that survey, he uh, found out that the average pastor uh, in America, this survey was a little older than, than normal, or a little older, it was in 1992, average of 22 minutes a day. And um, it's very obvious that I'm certain that those numbers probably have declined even more uh, in ever how long it's been since 1992, 30 years or so. And, um, and so if our pulpits in America are, are prayerless, I have a feeling that the pews are probably just as prayerless as well. And um, I know that there are times where that the Spirit can stir us. And um, I would caution all of us not to get confused about the difference between anointing and emotion. And so if there's a priority to pray, here is what Luke 11 and 1 brings to our mind, the Bible says there's Luke writes it, and he was praying in a certain place. And so if there's a priority for prayer, there has to be a place literally where that you pray. And uh, Jesus prayed in the wilderness. He prayed in the mountains. He prayed in the synagogues. He prayed with his disciples, and he prayed alone. And now Luke 11 and 1 reminds us that he prayed in a certain place. There, there have to be certain places of prayer that are in your life. Whenever I look in the word of the Lord in 2 Kings 4, the Bible tells us that Elisha prayed for that young man that had, had died. And I don't think that that was the first time that Elisha had prayed in that prophet's chamber. That wasn't the first time that, 
that he had had a prayer meeting in that place. And then in 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah gets news that he is about to die. The Bible tells us that uh, he began to pray there. I have a feeling that knowing the life of Hezekiah, that that was not the first time that Hezekiah, even though the news was bad, I don't believe that that was the first time that he had prayed in that way. The Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 1 that Nehemiah apparently had a place of prayer, but his place of prayer is a little unique in the fact that he was in a place of captivity, and yet the Bible also tells us in Daniel chapter 6 that, that Daniel played, prayed regularly there in his chamber in captivity. Nehemiah prayed in captivity as did uh, Daniel in captivity. I believe Jeremiah probably played, prayed in captivity. In fact, I know he did and, and Ezekiel as well. And then in Matthew 26, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that he was there in the garden. That was not the first time that he had been in that garden to pray. And then in Acts chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Cornelius, that he too had a regular place where that he prayed. And, and if those people have, were in that place of prayer and places of prayer produce patterns of prayer. I'm just going to tell you that here tonight, that, that if you have a place where you go to where that you pray, I promise you there are patterns of prayer that they begin to follow you in those places where that you pray. Over the years, I have read of great men and women of God that gave descriptions about their places of prayer. And generally, it would be in a place in their home or in the church that was designed for prayer. You would find there, there was one man that I read of, and he found four or five two-by-sixes, and he cut them up, and and uh, he, he made his own altar. I, I know that... Uh, most pastors aren't given to carpentry. If you don't believe that, go over and look at the student building and look at some of my carpentry skills and you'll realize I'm not too much given to carpentry. But anyways, he made a small rough hewn altar out of two-by-sixes and, and he built an altar. He put it in a little in a little nook in his home that really was not designed for anything else. And he looked at it and he thought, I'm going to turn that into a place of prayer. And it really was nothing more than a place for him to kneel down at. But as he pastored a church for 30 years, that little altar was there in his home that become a useful place. I know that there are chairs in corners of dens or living rooms that have a small table by them that they're in some of your homes and they are places where that that you pray. There are small buildings or even sheds that are separate in some places from uh, people's houses. And I, I know of several pastors that they bought little small uh, storage buildings and they put them out behind their homes and that has uh, been a prayer place for them. Nothing fancy, maybe 8 by 12, maybe 
uh, 20, 10 by 20, some little small place where that they prayed and turned that shed in to a place of prayer or an old church pew that has been reformed so that you are there in that place to pray. I have mentioned to you before about some, and now I know why Brother Patterson tells some of his stories more than once. It's because there's new faces. And there's new faces here tonight. And some of you have not heard of me talk about my granny's little prayer house. In the 70s, and my dad mentioned earlier tonight, places where that did not have air conditioners. And my uh, grandparents on my father's side were uh, in that place. And they did not have an air conditioner. Lived in a little small block house. And out behind that house, they had three little small houses. One was a a wash house, had a ringer washing machine in it, had a stove that they heated up, and through that stove there were some pipes that ran through it that they used that to heat up the water, and they washed clothes out there every every mud. And my granny was always, um, it was almost like she wanted to put the fear of God in, in Mark and myself because she wouldn't let us get near whenever she started feeding those clothes through that ringer uh, washing machine and, and go through all the process of that. Right next to that, there was a little smokehouse, and they would kill uh, hogs during the winter time, and they would take those hogs and hang them up, and uh, they would smoke those hogs. This was in the 70s, 60s, and 70s, and that was the smokehouse. And then right next to that was the fruit house, and in that fruit house, there were shells that were there, and and uh, during the summertime, they canned peas and beans and okra and, and uh, tomatoes and, and all that sort of thing, pears. They made jelly. And uh, it all set out in that what they called the fruit house. And then as, as uh, need arose, they would go out there and they would take that that was out in that. But, but down behind the fruit house, there was a little small uh, shed that was probably no more... Uh, then, then maybe maybe six feet wide, probably twelve feet in length. Uh, I don't know its original purpose. Maybe just an old tool shed. But my granny uh, had taken and gone to the grocery store, and I still remember that there were boxes that she had whitewashed and she had painted, but the paint was so old that the words had bled through. And I can remember seeing uh, cereal boxes, checks cereal from Quick Check. And I remember seeing the toilet paper boxes because they were the large boxes. And she would take that and she would put that on the walls there in that little room there. And then she would stuff newspaper down inside. And that was what served as insulation in that little room and and uh, while Mark and I were there, she had a little little fan, and that little fan she had over in the corner time, and so whenever we would go in the summer, uh, she would open up the little front door, had a little screen door on it, and she would open that front door and had a little window. She'd crack the windows in it. It, it must have been, it was like a like a oven inside that little room there. And, and she'd let those windows up, open the door, turn that fan on, cool it down a little bit. And then every day after lunch, unfailingly, except for on Saturdays, my granny would go down and uh, she would walk down to that little prayer house and she would spend an hour plus down there praying. She had a little bulletin board in there and it had pictures, it had 
probably a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty pictures of, of various people, school pictures, reunion pictures, various things like that. And she'd stand there in front of that, front of that bulletin board and she would pray for the people that was on uh, that place. I, I remember as a kid and my granny, little small pew that was inside there, and my granny would, she was oblivious to me and Mark and I can remember her getting down on her knees and starting to pray there and she didn't weigh more than maybe 80 pounds and, and she would start praying and it'd start slow and, and then it would start building in a way and, and next thing you know, she'd start praying and wailing and crying out and, and uh, in intercessory prayer and then break out in to speaking in tongues and Mark and I that we'd sit there, we, we, were, we were, it was normal for us to be around people that spoke in tongues so we didn't think anything about it I have to admit I'm more interested in being outside that little old prayer house and being locked up inside there with my granny but now at the age that I am at I realize that there were things that were being prayed into my life and into my spirit in that little old small place that was her place where she was there and she prayed in that place I beat up on pastors this morning, so I may as well just keep on here tonight. But John Piper said it like this. He said, a pastor that feels competent in himself to produce eternal fruit knows neither God nor himself. A pastor who does not know the rhythm of desperation and deliverance must have his sights only on what a man can achieve. And if I will have a place of prayer, it is going to be because I rebel against what the culture and even what my own flesh tries to impose on my life that I have to force myself against the whining of the flesh and the encroachment of the culture that would try to minimize an hour of prayer. Where is your place of prayer? Is there a place of prayer that you have in your home? Is there somewhere where you can point out to me that it has become a secluded sanctuary of prayer that is a private place for you to pray? Is there a place that you can point to and you can tell me that God has answered some of your prayers from heaven in that private place of prayer? Is there a place that you can show me that the walls and the floors can testify that they have heard your voice crying out in prayer, whether that was in desperation or whether it was prayer that was there in victory. Are there places of prayer that you have in your life? Is there a chair seat? Is there a pew cushion? Is there a small pillow that has a record of tears that have bled out of your eyes and have fallen to that place where that you prayed in your certain place? Or has prayer, has your place of prayer been replaced with the wooing voices of entertainment that they are so full of 
of profanity and so full of vanity and nonsense and and are, are those the voices that permeate your place not only of where you try to pray but where you live is it the voices of news anchors or the calls of a sportscaster or the back and forth argument that you find from a place where that you would somehow find that you have forgotten how to pray. Nate, I made a terrible mistake and I have 18 pages of notes and 10 of them are still on my desk and you have to go get them. You have to get them quick. Listen to me tonight. What about your place of prayer? Is, is there somewhere, is there somewhere where that your place of prayer has been violated by worldliness? Or, or has your place of prayer, has, has, it, has it been encroached in by, by laziness or sleep or apathy or the pressures of life? What does your place of prayer look like? Can it be said that that you even have a place of prayer. One of the prophecies that was given on Azusa Street that, that ought to trouble us, Azusa was 19 in the early 1900s, and one of the prophecies that came out there in that place was that matter where that uh, they said that, that in this generation that there would be more praise than there was prayer. That was one of the prophecies that were given and I, I just want to just ask that question are we are we living in that particular place now where that uh, that our prayer has been replaced with superficial praise what what does your place of prayer look like if if I were to say okay brother Adam brother Pierce brother Sanford brother Pittman I want you to take me and show me where you pray. And I don't mean to single out those four men, but I, I would say that I would call that to every single one of us here tonight, that, that is there somewhere that you can say, this is where I pray. There's a call to prayer that we can't get around. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Psalm 55 and 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Ephesians 3 and 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can ask the Lord for so many things, but the greatest need that we have to ask the Lord for is, Lord, would you teach me how to pray? And it's something that little Reagan would tell her Uncle Justin but I don't know how to pray. 
do you know how to pray? And I would say this, that oftentimes, whether we like it or not, it's pressure that moves us into places of prayer. Pressure moves you into places of prayer. But, but I would say that that shouldn't surprise us because the Lord even mentions that. In Hebrews chapter 5, here's what, he, here's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 7, "...who in the days of his flesh..." When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet he learned, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so I tell the church here tonight that, that number one, there's got to be a priority of prayer. Number two, there's got to be a place of prayer. But I also believe that this scripture bears out that there's a process of prayer. Now, you find that in Luke 11. Look there in verse 2. Luke 11, here's what he says, verse 2. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. My attitude toward prayer is that I have to be taught how to pray. But that shouldn't be just said. It should be that we should be exhorted to pray. We should be instructed as how to pray. And we ought to hear that on a regular basis. And so in the process of prayer is a relationship that, that I can see. You can see it. This is I'm sure this is elementary. You probably have thought of this before in your own mind. But let me, maybe I can gel it and bring it to a little bit of a sharper point. But look at what Luke says that the Lord told him how to pray. He, he said, here is the way that you pray. Our Father which art in heaven. And the defining point of that matter that he brings out is whenever he says Father, that immediately indicates to us that there is a relationship. I thank God for my relationship that I have with my earthly dad and I thank God for the earthly relationship as father that I have with my children and, and uh, my sons as, as we have gotten older. Our, our relationship has totally changed now. It's now that, that I'm speaking to them more as men than I am uh, as, as they, are, they are sons. But still, I speak to them in a much different way than what I did whenever they were still at home. It's important for us to understand that if you're going to pray effectively, then you have to be a son. You've got to be. There, there's got to be something that you have been born into the kingdom. Otherwise, you cannot call him father. You cannot popular to hear this statement whenever national catastrophe takes place they say this this phrase there in our thoughts and in our prayers and 
There's been a lot of back and forth about all that. I won't get into that, but, but I will go this far and say that the only people to whom that prayer is effective are those that are the sons of God. Everybody else can have their thoughts and their prayers and, and uh, the world can pray all day long, but if they have not been converted, God does not hear them. I know that is like stunning for people to hear. Well, God don't hear the prayer of everybody. No, He does not. In fact, the only prayer of a sinner that God hears is a prayer of repentance. That's the only prayer that the Lord hears of a sinner is a prayer of repentance. Every other prayer that they may utter, and it's amazing how that that 30 minutes prior, they're cussing and they're, it, it, it jumps on me now even more so than it ever has before for me to hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain. It's almost like it just, it, and it didn't used to bother me as much, as, but as I've gotten older, it's like when I hear somebody say and use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in a way that, that you can tell that is just uh, that that it's more like a curse than it is that a prayer. It just gets all over me whenever I hear. I want to yell at them, and I want. I know. I know. I know. But I'm a son. It's my dad. You're talking about him. You're using his name in a in a way that that is not conducive. Let me read you a scary scripture. Psalm 66 and 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear me. You ever read that before? Let me read that to you again. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm going to give you a little homework. You can go and read. You really need to read all of this chapter, Job 27, to kind of get the context. But I'm going to pull three verses out of that. These are, these are what are called rhetorical questions. These are questions that are being asked, and the answer is already implicit. They know what the answer is. That's what a rhetorical question is. But Job 27, beginning in verse 8, For what, for what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul, will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? As you read all of Job 27, it even unfolds and even goes even more there in some part of 28. But that, those are very sobering scriptures whenever it comes to the fact that who God hears and who God ignores. And so whenever I walk in this sanctuary and there are things in my heart and there are unconfessed sins that are in my mind and in my spirit, God does not hear my prayer. That's pretty scary. And so that segment that I read to you in Job tells you what the Bible has to say about those that are qualified to pray. 
but there's something else that we see here, and, and you've thought of this. I know you have. You just maybe hadn't had it laid out like I'm doing here tonight. But, but look at what he says. Our Father, which art in heaven, in heaven, the fact that the Lord is in heaven should, should point us to a destination that causes us to understand that our prayers, that they have to reflect heavenly ideas or heavenly interest. That makes sense? Our Father who art in heaven and there are times where I spend a lot of time and I spend perhaps too much time praying for things that are not focused on heaven. But just as there is a relationship that we see in this, in this model prayer, we also see it, something that's called reverence. And I have camped out on this a number of times as I have prayed over the years. It's it's what he says, hallowed be thy name. What, what does that mean, hallowed? That means made holy. That, that means to be set apart. That, that means to be moved and separated from worldly matters and worldly things. And if you wonder why that the Bible puts such an emphasis on holiness, right there's the reason. Because one of the most important things that you do as a child of God, as a son of God, has its foundation rooted in holiness. Holiness is important. It involves the inward man. It progresses to the outward man. You don't have to worry about external holiness if there is true holiness that is working on the inside of your heart and your spirit. Now, I will tell you this. You have to corral your flesh and set up boundaries. That's what Romans 6 is about. And whenever Paul tells us that we have to mortify our flesh, why is he telling me that I have to mortify my flesh? It's because he's saying there are tracks, there, there are boundaries that you have to put up and that if you let your flesh go, it literally will rule and it will strip your life of any kind of strength and power that the Lord might have placed there. I could walk through the entire prayer phrase by phrase just like I have with these uh, two but, but, but that's maybe not all of my goal here tonight now I preach to you this morning sometimes you can get inspired and when you're inspired or convicted about not praying enough and then somebody leaves you hanging and they don't tell you how to pray that can create massive frustration. And so I'm going to spend the rest of this time, maybe maybe 10 minutes, maybe maybe 20 minutes, maybe, maybe 30 minutes, I don't know. Hannah, wave at me when I get on 20 minutes. Just Hannah, wave at me. None of the rest of you wave at me. Okay, well, let's talk about this matter. If you're called to prayer, and these are just things that have just developed in my life over a number of years, and, and maybe if I can share this with you, especially to some of you younger people that are here tonight, maybe it can help you 
to to go in a direction and you will get to a I won't I'm I'm just going to say this, okay? I want all of you younger ones in this church. John Paul, brother John Paul, sister Brittany, and Caitlin and Kay and Grace and Chrissy and um, Samuel and Hannah and um, Kayla and Gracie and Brother Jonathan and and, um, yeah, they're right there. You thought you was going to sneak out on me. (laughs) Hannah, keep your brother straight. Nick, I want I want every one of you, and I'm I need to call the rest of your names, okay? But but I want you to outpray me. I want you to know more about Scripture than what I know. I want you to preach and teach better than what I do. And so, if there are things that I can maybe encourage you here tonight that would be helpful, then that's what I'm going to do. I may not have much of an altar service, but I'll just say that this morning's altar service will work and we'll have one tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. The first thing I want to talk to you about is, is the atmosphere. And uh, a whole lot can be said about that if I will be effective in prayer. And I've got to take it very seriously what the Lord had to say about a private closet. It's going to be somewhere where you can withdraw to. It's important we have corporate prayer. When I say corporate prayer, I mean public prayer where that we are praying in this. But listen, public anointing never exceeds private devotion. Public anointing never exceeds private devotion. If you're going to be publicly anointed, you will be privately devoted. And so if there's an atmosphere that, that you, you create, it, it has to be a place where you can withdraw to and you can pray. The house that Kay and Kiriton lives in is, is the house that Teresa and I uh, rented whenever we first moved back to Dothan in 1992. And Kay, the 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 little bedroom that's right across from the bathroom there in the hallway, uh, that served as 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 uh, my place where I prayed. And whenever we moved into that house, there was a bookshelf that the previous owner, who was a pastor, had put there in that little room. And and uh, and so for for a number of years, that was where. When I was still working 12 hours at the hospital, that was the little place where I was at. It was a place of withdrawal. It was a place where that, that you could create an atmosphere to pray. Now, we'll tell you this. You can get distracted if it's quiet. And so what I do is I, I play praise and worship music. And... Uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, Charity Gale, William McDowell, Ernest Pugh, James Fortune, Eddie James, David Nicole Binion. There's just a few of them. And I create playlists. And I let that play while I'm praying. There's, 
some of the old integrity music. You used to have them on cassette tapes, and you'd play them, and then you'd stop them and flip them over. That's where I was at in the early 90s. But integrity has instrumentals, peace, love, grace, various themes like that. And I would listen to those, and whatever can move me toward prayer is worth it. Now let me say this. I doubt the Charlie Daniels band. I doubt Johnny Cash. I doubt Madonna is going to move me into a place of prayer. I, I don't even know who the most of the modern folks are because I, I just want to tell you this. If I can't get that music into my place of prayer, I probably shouldn't be listening to it while I'm just doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm going I'm to put that out there for you. There are books, and, and here's what I hear everybody saying. Oh, I don't like to read. I don't, I don't like to read. I'm just going to remind you what John Wesley said, who's been long dead for a number of years. And John Wesley said this. He said, good books are closely connected to spirituality growing. Now, obviously, the best book is the Word of God, but there are other books that you can find and you can buy. E.M. Bounds, everybody ought to have that on prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, his books on prayer. Sister Mangan has several books on prayer. Joey Haney has several books on prayer and personal consecration. Denzel Holman has several books on prayer. There are times where that those books on prayer, what do they do? They motivate and they strengthen your ability to pray. And yet there's times where too often we immediately enter into our prayer request and we forget communion with God. And so what does communion with God look like? Praying the scriptures is one of the most powerful and unique ways for you to be able to do that. I'm going to ask uh, Clay or Matt, Clay, Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, Praying the scriptures helps you to focus your prayer and it helps your praying from being so scatterbrained. And so I'm going to, you can see it on the screen there, but this is some of the ways that I have adapted that prayer. Because of all you have done for me, I present my body I present my mind, my thoughts, my words, my actions to you as a living sacrifice for this day. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Deliver me from the thinking that the world wants to impose on me. Keep me back from thinking like carnal and worldly and unsaved people. Do not let their words or actions get into my mind and spirit. Let my thoughts, let them be godly and reverent and clean and hungry for righteous things. Let me affirm your will that is good and acceptable and perfect. What is that scripture doing? It's speaking to my submission to God. 
Clay, if you could put up 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. This speaks to adoration and thanksgiving to God. In everything, give thanks. Lord, I thank you for making provision for me and my family. I'm thankful, Lord, for the gift of health that you have given to me. I'm thankful that you have placed a love for your word in my heart. I'm thankful for my family whom you have preserved from evil and you're working toward their salvation. Lord, even though it's difficult at times, I thank you for helping me to navigate through heart-rending disappointments and sleep-robbing trials of life. I can see now how that they have been beneficial for me. Help me to be thankful for the current dilemmas of life that I'm facing, knowing that by your sovereignty that they will also work towards your good and my eternal salvation. I'm going to tell you, the devil don't want you praying that kind of prayer. He, he don't want you praying in that way. He wants you ungrateful. He wants you unthankful. He wants you critical. He wants the world to bleed into your mind saying, oh yeah, you, you didn't get your chance. They, they tried to work you over. They tried to do you in. They're trying to hold you down. That's the thoughts of the enemy. But, but what does the Lord say? In everything, give thanks. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. That prayer speaks to self-examination. Great God, I ask that your spirit search my heart. Reveal any areas of unconfessed sin that I am aware of or unaware of. Lord, I acknowledge these to you and I ask you for your forgiveness. Don't try to skip out on self-examination in your prayer life. Because if you try to skip out on self-examination in your life, here's what happens. The Lord never can dig around for places and watch out where you've got grudges, where you've got personal animosity, where that you're holding on to things that is going to make you bitter. As a writer of Hebrews said that we've got to pull out that root of bitterness. Whenever you pray in a manner of self-examination and you open your heart up to the Lord, that, that, that you're there in that place. Lord, teach me how to pray like John taught his disciples. When you start praying like that, the Lord can get in and start weeding things out of your life. In your spirit, Ephesians 5.18 speaks to the infilling of the spirit. Seek for the spirit. Lord, I seek for your spirit to control me and to fill me on this day. I want to be filled with your spirit. Lord, when I walk by your spirit, I do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 Lord, if I walk by the Spirit, I will also walk. If I live by the Spirit, then I will walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. Now, Galatians 5, 22, 23. I'm going to go through this in less than a minute, but you can spend a long time praying on this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 speaks to the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, please help me to love 
Help me to have joy. Help me to have peace. Help me to have patience and goodness and, and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and, and self-control. I remember something Brother Griffin told us when we were in Bible college. He said, he said man, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out for you. He said, before you're ever really going to experience the depth of the fruit of the Spirit, he said, you're going to have to experience the opposite of that fruit. And I've lived long enough now when I was in my 20s, I thought, what in the world is he talking about? But I've lived long enough now to realize that if you're going to have real love in your life, you're going to have to know what it's like to hate somebody. You, you, you're going to have to know. You're going to have to know what it is like to hate somebody. Say, oh, my Lord, you're a preacher. You're saying that. I'm just telling you now that when the Spirit starts getting down into our hearts and into our lives and moving, there's all sorts of things that the Lord starts moving and pulling away. If you're going to experience joy, you're going to have to walk through some valleys of depression and disappointment. If you're going to experience peace, then you're going to have to experience what war feels like. And that's usually on the inside of our hearts, and I'll move on. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. That's praying about the purpose of life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all the other things will be added and taken care of. Lord, I want to love you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind. I want to love my neighbor as myself. Lord, my purpose is to love you completely, to love self correctly, and to love others compassionately. Lord, help me to love people that have not had the advantages of life that have been given to me. Oh, Jesus, I'm fearful, Lord, for that phrase, to whom much is given, much is required. Lord, you have given so much to me. I plead with you, Lord, that your investment, God, that you have, Lord, put in my life, please don't let it go to waste. That's what prayer looks like. Lord, I have, I have been called to follow you and to be a fisher of men, Matthew 4, 19. Lord, help me to be a witness to those that don't know you and help me to participate in the Great Commission to go and to make disciples, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Acts chapter 1, and verse 8. Lord, I want to glorify you by bearing much fruit so that when other people look at my life, they don't glorify me, but they glorify my Father who is in heaven. John chapter 15, and verse 8. Proverbs chapter 3, and verse 5, you know that. Verses 5 and 6, I will trust in the Lord with all my heart 
and lean not to my own understanding in all my ways. I'm going to acknowledge you. You're going to make my paths straight. Lord, help me to know that you cause all things work together for good to those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Now I'm going to finish with this. I hope you're writing some of this down and this will be helpful to guide and direct some of your praying as well. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, you, you know that. Finally, my brothers, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then Paul goes down chapter, verse 10, all the way down through 18 and names off all the pieces of armor. But here's what we have to do. It speaks to protection and warfare, and you are in a war. Your children, they are in a war. Your spouse is in a war. And so, Lord, because I'm in a war, my mind, the world, wants to destroy my mind. So, Lord, help me to set my mind on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8 and 5. Lord, since I have been raised up in you, I'm going to set my affections, my mind on things above and not on things below. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Lord, this is my chief sin. I am anxious about so many things. I worry. I fret. But Lord, help me not to be anxious for anything. But in everything, my prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I want my request to be made known to you. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, all comprehension, it will guard my heart and it will guard my mind in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, whatever's true, Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good repute, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, Lord, please let my mind dwell on those things because there is a battle against my mind. But Lord, I'm also aware that there's a battle against my flesh. Lord, I know that my old self, it was crucified with Christ so that I'm no longer a slave to sin. And Lord, when you died, I died, and I'm freed from sin. That's what your word says. And so therefore, I'm going to reckon myself dead to that sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to present my members of my body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but I am going to present myself to God as one that's alive from the dead and my members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, verse 11 and verse 13. And so if there's a war against my mind and if there's a war against my flesh, then what I have to do is I have to renew my mind. I have to reckon my flesh to be dead. And then that last enemy is the devil. 
And so what I do with that is I resist the devil. James chapter 4 and verse 7. I didn't give that one to you, Clay, but if you could put that up. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Lord, when I submit myself to you and I resist the devil, he will flee from me. Lord, I'm going to be of a sober spirit. Help me to be alert. My adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion seeking to devour me. Help me to resist him and be steadfast in my faith. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And then I will take up the full armor of God that I may be able to stand and resist. I'm going to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to put my feet in the preparation of the gospel of peace and I'm going to take up the shield of faith so that I'll be able to extinguish all the flaming, fiery darts and missiles of that evil one. I take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and supplication. I'm going to pray at all times in the Spirit. And I'm going to be on, on alert with all perseverance and all supplication for all saints. 1976 or so, I think that was the year that the church was dedicated. Uh, Brother James Kilgore was Brother Patterson's hero for for a number of years. And uh, I uh, had somebody, uh, can you get it? Can you get it put up there for me, Clay? I sent it to them. I don't know if they'll be able to put it up there for you, but maybe you turn the lights now. Maybe it'll be a little easier to see. Um, this is uh, some it's a little piece of paper off of a, you see a small legal pad. And um, Brother Kilgore has... Uh, three children, uh, Nancy and Jim, and I has another daughter, and I for, forgot what her name is. But Jim was going through some of Brother Kilgore's belongings, and he found these words that Brother Kilgore had written just a few days before he passed away. If you can put that next one up there. And these are the things I thought some of you elders would appreciate this. This is what Brother Kilgore wrote. He said, uh, today, strengthen my home. That's up in the top right corner. Strengthen my home. Strengthen my family. Strengthen my relationship with God. And then he says this, today, number one, I will pray. Number two, I will forgive Number three, I will love with a pure heart fervently. Number four, I will live by the word. Number five, I will be real. 
Number six, I will be free from hypocrisy. Number seven, I will worship in spirit and in truth. Number eight, I will not sin. Number nine, I cannot fail the Lord. Number 10, I will help somebody in need. Number 11, I will magnify the Lord. Number 12, I will discipline myself. Number 13, I will take up my cross. Number 14, I will not offend. Number 15, I will not be, or I will be kind and understanding. And number 16, I will, and I can't read what that, I will deny myself. And Brother Kilgore passed away a number of years ago. He's one of our old elders, preached the dedication of our student building years ago. And when I read those words, a friend of mine sent that to me the other day. I thought, you know what? Those are some very valuable things to have in your life. And uh, you are consciously going to have to give yourself to prayer. There, there, there are some of you young people, and that's a variable word because I think anybody less than 40 is young these days. There are some of you here, you're less than 40, and the Lord is planting seeds in your heart and in your spirit right now that if you continue to be faithful, you'll outrun every one of us. But the key word is this. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be disciplined. I'm finished. It's 10 minutes after 8, and I really don't know what to do. I don't know whether to just dismiss you and let you go home or if I offer you the opportunity to come up here and to pray. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, you can either leave or you can come, you can come to the altar. Our gracious God, the challenge for prayer, Lord, has never been greater. Lord, there are, there are enemies, and there's also excuses, Lord, that would do their best to wither and to choke my prayer. But Lord, I ask you tonight that Lord, that once again for you to renew my commitment to prayer. Oh, how we need praying pastors. How we need praying churches. I ask you, Lord, tonight to help all of us not to get weary in well-doing. Oh, please, Lord Jesus Christ, help us to be effective in our private places of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. I'll just say, if you feel like you want to be dismissed, you want to slip out, 
I won't be offended. Lord bless you. If you want to stay and pray, you're more than welcome to do so.